Amen. Amen. All right. So today, as we talk about this idea of wrestling with God, we're going to spend some time looking at the life of the patriarch Jacob. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, just kind of observing some things in his life. And one of the things that I really love about Jacob is that he's just so real. He's one of the most, I think, real characters in the Bible. You know, sometimes um, you can look at heroes of the faith in the Bible and and it comes across like there's some kind of super Christian with some super spiritual powers that they had that aren't available to the rest of us. Now, that's not the case. That, that's not true. But sometimes it can come across to us like that. But Jacob's not really like that. With Jacob, his faults are glaring. How many of you sometimes think your faults are glaring? All right. But uh, a couple of honest people. Good. Uh, Jacob's faults are glaring. They're on full display for us to see. He seems to have difficulty trusting God, trusting what God has promised. He tends to resort to his own ways and follows his own understanding. Of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's probably the most flawed of the three. He seems to struggle with faith and trusting God more than Abraham and Isaac did. He never performed a miracle, yet he's in Hebrews chapter 11. God's hall of faith, where it says, by faith, all these people did all of these amazing and awesome things. And uh, um, he's, his name is right there next to all of these people who shut the mouths of lions and who saw dead people raised to life again. So and even though he didn't do a miracle, his name is right there next to all of those. So in spite of all his flaws and all his shortcomings, in the end, God saw him as a hero, as a champion of the faith. And in the end, that's how God wants to see us too. God wants to see you as a hero of the faith. God wants you to be a champion of the faith. So let's delve into it. And we're just going to kind of observe Jacob's life and see what it means to wrestle with God and how that can turn us into a champion for God. Or in Bible terms, make us an overcomer. All right, so now the first thing I want you to see about Jacob's life is that Jacob was a man who had the promises of God. Jacob was a man with the promises of God. Let's start at chapter 5, chapter 25, verse 23. Now, this verse that we're starting on, this happens very early on in Jacob's life. As a matter of fact, it is so early on that Jacob hasn't even been born yet. He's still in his mother's womb. And he's there, he's in there with his brother Esau. And already, they're not getting along. Already, there's sibling rivalry. And in verse 22, it says that the babies, they were jostling each other in the womb so much that Rebecca said, what is happening to me? I, I remember sometimes seeing a, a woman who's been pregnant for eight or nine months, and uh, that baby kicks something in there, and eyes get wide, right? And, uh, um, but here, she's got two babies in her, and they're fighting already. Tough enough when they're four or five or six, right, separating them, right? But when they're in your womb, what are you going to do? So she goes to God and inquires of the Lord about it. Verse 23, God answers her and says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now look at that phrase there, the older will serve the younger. 
You know, at first glance, you might say, well, big deal. What's the big deal about that? I know plenty of families where, you know, the younger one uh, became, you know, more successful and more prominent than the older one. But in that day, what God was saying there was actually quite astonishing and unusual. Because in ancient Hebrew culture, it was always the oldest son who was the preeminent one. You know, if you've ever thought in your life that, you know, you had an older brother and it wasn't fair because he always got to do things that you didn't get to do, and you always got to have stuff that you didn't get to have. Well, in that culture, it was enshrined in just the way things were done. The oldest son was groomed to be the leader of the family. Uh, When the father passed on, the oldest son would be the patriarch of the family. He got a double portion of the inheritance. He got twice as much inheritance as anyone else did. But here in our passage, we see God saying the opposite. God is going against the culture. He's saying something different. He's declaring here that Jacob would be the more prominent one. And perhaps most importantly, it would be Jacob who would inherit the covenant blessings of Abraham. Jacob was a man who had the promises of God. Say, you know what occurs to me? Christians are people who have the promises of God. You, if you are someone who names the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are someone who has the promises of God. Paul says it this way, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Peter says that he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We have the promises of God. And Jacob was a man with the promises of God. But the next thing I want you to see about Jacob is that Jacob was a schemer. Jacob was a conniver. In spite of everything that God had promised him, Jacob lived his his life as though God had never spoken anything to him about his future. Have you ever seen a Christian walking around like they've never read the end of the book? Right? Well, that's what Jacob was like. He was was living as though God had never said anything to him about his future, like a man who didn't have the promises of God. Let's look at it. In the same chapter, in the very next verses, it says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now, in the Old Testament, names meant something. They had uh, much more significant meaning than they have today. It said something about who you were and about your character. And the name Jacob literally meant he grasps the heel. Figuratively, it meant deceiver or he deceives. And so it carried the idea of someone who would trip someone up from behind, someone who would, who would win by cheating, the idea of coming up behind someone when they're not expecting it and tripping them up so that you can then pass them and win. And the, winning in a deceptive and conniving and, and cheatful kind of way. That's the idea. So when they saw him come out grasping his brother's heel, it was like they were saying, oh, you better watch out for this one. This one's a schemer. This one's tricky here. Uh, this one's a conniver. He was Jacob, a deceiver. So let's see this play out as as we go forward in this passage uh, and as they grow up. It says, the boys grew up. This is verse 27 in the same chapter. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. 
Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the red stew, I'm famished. Well, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now here, what I want you to see is that Jacob is trying to manipulate his way into something that he already has. He's trying to scheme his way into something that, from God's perspective, he already has. God had already promised him the birthright. But for some reason, he, feel like, he felt like he needed to do something to make it happen. He's wrestling with the idea of just trusting God and his promises. And instead of trusting God's promises, he leverages the situation in an attempt to gain what, in God's view, he already has. All right, now jump to chapter 27, if you will. We're going to go a little bit further along in their lives now. Now here, Isaac is at the end of his life. And he wants to pronounce a blessing on Esau, his favorite son. And so he asks him to go out and hunt some game and prepare it for him. He says, and I like how he says it in verse 4. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give my blessing before I die. Everybody knows that if you want dad's blessing, give him some of the food he likes, right? Now, what Isaac and Esau didn't realize is that Rebekah overheard the whole conversation. And Rebekah's favorite son was Jacob. And so Rebekah went to Jacob and, and said all about what she had heard and tells him to quickly go get a couple of goats so that she can prepare him. And I like how she says, says it too. So I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then you take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And so here we have what may be the first recorded instance in history of a woman trying to get what she wants from her husband using food. It must have worked because how many of you know that tradition carries on today? Don't all look so holy, some of you there. By the way, also, have any of you noticed in this passage that dad's going to die and all anyone cares about is getting stuff from him before he dies? I mean, dad's going to die and everyone just wants to look in the will to see what's there, right? Can I tell you something? That's messed up. Just speaking on behalf of all the dads here, all right? Dad's messed up. And of course now Jacob objects because, you know, it's not because it would be wrong or deceitful, because, but he's afraid that he would get caught. He says, I would, I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. You know, but his mother said, oh, let the curse fall on me, but just do what I say. So she prevailed and... and uh, so he did what she said, and she prepared the goats, and then she gave some of Esau's clothes for him to wear and put goat skins on his hands and around his neck to try to deceive Isaac. And, uh, and so Jacob went into his father, and his father asked, well, who is it? And Jacob said, well, it's me, Esau, your firstborn. I've done what you told me. Now, would you sit up and, and eat some of my game so that you can give me your blessing? Okay, so now he's lying to and deceiving his father. And Isaac asked his son, well, how did you find it so quickly, my son? You know, 
and uh, Jacob replies, well, the Lord your God gave me success. Have you ever had someone drag you into their scheme? I mean, un- maybe unwittingly. Maybe they did something that was a little bit the wrong way or underhanded. You wouldn't have been involved with that, but somehow they managed to drag you into it, and they want you to cover for them. Ever had anyone do that? Yeah, a few of you have. How'd, how'd you like it? You didn't like it, did you? Well, here, Jacob is dragging God into his scheme. You suppose God liked it? Don't think so, right? But he's dragging God into his scheme. And, you know, Isaac is a little suspicious at first. He, he thinks, you know, this sounds a little bit like Jacob, but, but when he smells Esau's clothing and feels Jacob's disguised hands, he, he becomes convinced it's Esau, and he gives him this blessing. He says, may God give you of heaven's dew and earth's riches and an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. And so Jacob deceives his father and steals his brother's blessing. And again, he's trying to manipulate his way into something that God has already promised to him. He's trying to work his way into something that God, from God's perspective, he already has. Jacob has the promises of God, but he's living as though God has never said anything to him about his future. This is not trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. This is more like lean heavily on your own understanding and trust in yourself. And you know, how many of you know, really, in our approach to life, those are the only real two approaches we have, right? Trust in yourself. Lean heavily on your own understanding and trust your instincts. Or lean not onto your own understanding, but trust God. Trust his word. Act according to his word. Walk in his spirit. And so here Jacob... He's leaning heavily on his own understanding and trusting his instincts. And it leads to something. This man with the many promises becomes Jacob, the man on the run. When Esau found out about this, he was not happy. He was not a happy hunter. It says that he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and and sought the blessing with tears to no avail, and finally exclaiming, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Isn't he rightly named deceiver and schemer? Even Isaac's testimony about it was, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And this wasn't some type of minor passing offense. Verse 41, it says this, Esau held a grudge against Jacob, because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And he wasn't just kidding around. He wasn't just blowing off steam. It was so serious that Rebekah and Isaac sent Jacob several hundred miles away for his safety. And so we come to chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. It says that Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that would have been a really restless night of sleep. I mean, his goal was to be blessed. 
I mean, the reason he manipulated his brother into a deal that he would have never taken right before was that he wanted to be blessed. He wanted the blessing. The reason he deceived his brother and deceived his father is he wanted to be blessed. He wanted a good life. He wanted a blessed life. But now here he is on the run, sleeping under the stars with a rock for a pillow. He's by himself. He's a man without a family and without a country. And he's fleeing like an outlaw from someone who wants to kill him. And not only that, it's someone who has the means to kill him if he wanted to. He had the skills to track him right to where he was. He was a skillful hunter. Put yourself in Jacob's place for a minute. It would have been a restless night. Every time a twig cracked, wondering, is that Jacob out in the darkness? Or, or there's some noise that, that wakes you up in a cold sweat, and you're, you're wondering, is, is, Esau, is Esau about to pounce? It would have been an anxious night. You know, if I've learned anything about life, it's not to estimate, underestimate my own ability to mess things up when I'm not trusting God, when I'm not following God and following his word. Amen? Jacob was a man on the run in a situation that looked like he had blown everything. And look at the next verse, verse 12. These verses are so awesome. I mean, they ought, they ought to leave you uh, in awe at the grace and the mercies of God. Uh, it says this, verse 12. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. That is awesome. That is amazing. I mean, do you know what this is here? This is the covenant of Abraham. This is God establishing the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob. This is God saying to Jacob, all those promises that you've heard that I've given to Abraham and to Isaac, I'm now giving them to you. You know, sometimes it's when you're at your most broken place that you're in the place where you can best hear something from God. You know, if you feel like you're at a broken place, that is the time to look up and say, God, do you have anything you want to say to me? To look into the word and say, God, is there something you want to speak to me about? If you feel broken, that's the time that God wants to speak to you. This passage is so amazing. I mean, do you realize what this tells us? The, the idea is that if there still lurks in our hearts some idea that somehow we have to do something to earn or merit the favor of God or to earn or merit God's love, this passage should drive that idea far from us. Clearly, Jacob had done nothing to earn this favor. It was favor bestowed on him 
because of God's grace. We can't possibly begin to try to earn God's favor. We can't earn our salvation. We can't deserve it. We can't work for it. We can't add a single thing to it. Jesus paid it all for us. He loved us while we were still sinners. Before we loved him, Christ died for us. I mean, think about it. What are we going to give a God who owns everything in order to try to purchase his favor? What are we going to do for a God who is all-powerful in order to try to impress him? In our relationship with God, God is always the initiator. We're always the responder. You know, uh, uh, sometimes we think the opposite is true, that, you know, if I just try to do something, I'll get God to notice me. But the truth is, in the Scriptures, from beginning to end, God is the initiator, and we are the responder. He initiates with grace and love and mercy, and we respond with faith and trust and love in our hearts. And so now Jacob here, he has the promises of God through his mother. He has the promises of God through direct revelation. And not only that, God has given him some additional promises as well. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bring you back here. And by the way, you're going to have a lot of kids. Because look to the north, south, east, and west. You're going to need all of that space to contain all of your descendants. This is incredible. It's amazing. It's awesome. And you would think that this reality, you know, would kind of settle the matter in Jacob's heart, right? That he would finally stop wrestling with life and stop wrestling with God and uh, that he would finally begin to trust God and stop struggling so much. But sadly, that's not really what happened. So, so Jacob, this man with the blessings of God who was on the run from God and received more blessings from God, now becomes Jacob, the man under God's discipline. Jacob, the man under God's discipline. So as we look at the next couple chapters, we see a man who appears to be every bit the same Jacob as before. He's every bit the same deceiver and schemer as he was before. And we also see a God who's beginning to strive with Jacob. God wants to get Jacob's attention. He wants Jacob to trust in the promises and not in his own abilities and in his own scheming. How many of you know sometimes God's got to do something to get your attention? Right? And so uh, God's going to try to get Jacob's attention here. And so as we follow the story as it unfolds, uh, we see that Jacob continues on his journey to Padan Aram. And he comes across this well where everyone is gathering to water their flocks. And so he goes up to them and asks them, Hey, you guys all know a guy named Laban? Um, his sister's name is Rebecca. Uh, he's my uncle. You know him. And they're all like, yeah, we know him. Uh, as a matter of fact, here comes his daughter, Rachel, right now. She's about to water the flocks. And so Jacob turns around, looks at Rachel, and my goodness, he is smitten. He takes one look at her, and it's like love at first sight. And the Bible says he went over, he, he removed the stone from the well, he watered all of Laban's flocks for Rachel, right? And then it says, well, I think I, we have it here, um, yeah, it says, uh, he kissed her and began to weep aloud. That was a little bit forward if you ask this dad. <laughs> and then it says that Rachel went home and told her father. Now, times have really changed. Because if that were me, if I was the dad, and one of my daughters came home all excited and said, you know, daddy, I met a man at the supermarket. He's from out of town, but he was so nice, and he helped me with all of the groceries. Then he kissed me, and now he wants to live here with us. <laughs> I'm not sure 
that I react very positively. Honestly, I'll tell you, uh, any guy tried that with Emily, he'd be on the floor um, wiping pepper spray from his eyes, I'm sure. <laughs> Times have changed. Because Laban ran out and embraced him and, uh, and hugged him and brought him back to his home and said, hey, come live with us for a while. And, you know, Laban, uh, and Laban is going to be a tool in God's hands to try to confront Jacob and get his attention. You see, Laban is every bit the schemer and deceiver that Jacob is. Right? Uh, I mean, if you'd seen Laban, uh, you'd have said, oh, now I see where Jacob gets it. In his uncle Laban, Jacob meets his match as a schemer. So let's follow it. Beginning at verse 14, it says, After Jacob had stayed with him for a month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years and we turn for your younger daughter, Rachel. Wait a minute. Say what? Now, don't rush over this here. You know, I'll work for you seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. Really? Seven years? No other pay, no raises, no vacation, no stock options in the sheep and goats? Just the right to marry his daughter. You know, how many of you have ever noticed that when a boy likes a girl, he sometimes does stupid things? All right, I mean, in second grade, right, a boy likes a girl and thinks, you know what I should do? I should go over and pull her ponytail. That'll make her like me, right? I mean, I can remember a time in junior high, just remember this so clearly, a bunch of us are walking home from school, and this kid, Michael, who's near me, um, he likes Susie, and I remember him calling out to her across the way, hey, Susie, I beat up Jeffrey the other day. I remember so clearly, Susie turning around and going, I'm not impressed, Michael, and turns off and walks away. And Michael's standing there wondering, what do I got to do to impress this girl? Right, when a... Sometimes when a boy likes a girl, he does something stupid. And uh, here's what I think is happening here. Now, this doesn't say this, so if you disagree, that's fine. All right, uh, and we'll find out in heaven. But I think, I think this went down something like this. One afternoon, you know, after, after the flocks had been watered and everyone's back home, and uh, uh, Jacob, while well, he's there, he's just kind of there, and he's just really enamored with Rachel. He's there, he's holding her hand, he's looking in her eyes, just so enamored with her. And, and then Laban comes walking in the room, you know, he's looking over the books and says, hey, Jacob, um, you know, just because you're my relative and everything, uh, there's, well, you know, there's no reason. And he realizes, you know, Jacob's got a knack for this. Things are going well. And uh, says, there's no reason why you should work, you know, for free. Laban is offering Jacob a job. So what do you, what do you think you should earn? He looks over, and Jacob's still over here, like he barely hears her, he hears him. He's looking in, in Rachel's eyes. I'll work for you seven years if I can just marry your daughter. And Rachel's over here. She's giggling. And, and Laban's back here about now realizing, you know what? He has a hook. He's got a hook in Jacob. He can use Jacob's love for his daughter, Rachel, to his advantage. So he can leverage Jacob's love for Rachel into seven years of profit for himself. He leverages the situation. Say, does that sound like something that Jacob has done? 
you know, maybe with a pot of stew before. I mean, do you think God is trying to get Jacob's attention? And so they set a date seven years in the future. Man, how many of you, when you first get engaged, you know, you think, okay, what's the date? Seven years in the future, right? And then so seven years go by and the wedding day finally comes and, uh, and uh, Laban then pulls the, the, I think what is the biggest bait and switch in history. Verse 22, it says, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and Jacob lay with her. When morning came, there was Leah. Surprise! How many of you like surprises? Not that kind of surprise, right? Now, laying aside, like, how in the world does this ever happen anyway? I mean, how did Jacob not know? The only way I can conceive of is that Laban got Jacob stone cold drunk, which is just another reason why um, I encourage you, do not get drunk at your wedding. Do not drink alcohol at your wedding, okay? <laughs> Especially if you're not sure about how the father-in-law thinks about you, all right? And so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I've served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? So Jacob is upset. He's hot. I mean, you'd be upset too, right? He doesn't like being deceived. But I can't help notice. Doesn't this sound a lot like something Esau and Isaac were saying a while back? Right? After Jacob had stolen Esau's blessing. Why have you deceived us? Say, do you think God was trying to say something to Jacob? Look at verse 26. Laban replied, Oh, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. So Laban leveraged Jacob's love for Rachel to manipulate seven years of work out of him. Then he deceived Jacob in order to manipulate another seven years of work. Doesn't this sound so familiar? Jacob leveraged the situation with his brother starving to manipulate him into a deal he would never have made otherwise. Then he deceived his father to manipulate and steal Esau's blessing. Have you ever noticed that God will often use the very shortcomings in our own life to discipline us, to, to move us in the direction that he wants us to go, to move us towards faith, to move us towards surrender, to move us towards uh, discipleship uh, and faith? How often have we experienced where, you know, we've been really irritated with something in somebody else, just really irritated, and then somehow through the word of prayer, God shows us that, you know what, you got the same problem. Not one hand's going up. <laughs> My hands are going up, all right? Now, I'm not going to say all the time when something irritates you, it's because you have the same problem, but sometimes it is. So yeah, getting really irritated with somebody, something in somebody, ask yourself, God, are you trying to show me something? God, what are you trying to show me? And that's what's happening here. That's what's going on here. God wants to use Laban to get Jacob's attention. He's trying to get Jacob to simply trust promises instead of wrestling and struggling and fighting and scheming his way through life and trying to negotiate every last bit of blessing out of life. God wants Jacob to walk in faith instead of feeling like everything rises and falls on his own abilities, on his own talents, on his own resources. 
So as we get ready to wrap this up this morning, as we get ready to conclude, I'm, I'm kind of struck by this thought. You know, that it, it is easy for us to approach life the way Jacob did. God has given us all his very great and precious promises. He's promised to never leave us. He's promised that he will never forsake us. He promised to supply all of our needs out of his riches and glory. He promised that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all of these other things that we worry about will be added to us as well. We have the promises of God. And we also have the blessings of God. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he says this, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Yet it can be easy just to live like Jacob, can it? Leaning heavily on our own understanding, trusting ourselves, walking by sight rather than by faith, struggling with life, wrestling with God. Now next week we're going to finish up this idea uh, and this story of Jacob and find out how he ultimately overcame and became a champion with God. But I want to encourage you this week Don't be surprised and don't be dismayed or confused when some situation comes into your life and it's causing you to struggle a little bit. It may not be pleasant, but what you'll find is that in the struggle, you are exercising faith. You're getting stronger. God is making your faith stronger. That thing is just another opportunity to trust God and express faith. It's a step on the way to becoming a champion with God. So if you would just bow your head with me for now. I want to pray with you. And uh, first I want to ask, how many of you would say to me, you know, Pastor Paul, I've I've got something in my life that, that I've really been struggling with. I've really been struggling with faith. I've been struggling with trusting God with this thing. And, and you can name it. Right now, without a hesitation, you can name it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I've been, I've been struggling with this thing, struggling releasing it to God, or struggling in some way uh, with it, or struggling following God with it. And you'd want to say, you know, Pastor Paul, I want to lay that down. Maybe you've laid it down ten times already. But the eleventh time is the, is the time it's going to take. You say, Pastor Paul, I want to lay that down. I want to stop wrestling and struggling and fighting life and fighting God over this. And I just want to trust God. With no one looking around, you raise your hand and say, yeah, Pastor Paul, that's me. Would you pray for me this morning? Thank you for those hands, all those hands. Yeah, God sees that. God is with you. Just like he's with Jacob, God is with you in this difficult time. Would you all stand with me as I pray? And as we stand, I'm going to ask also the um, prayer counselors, if you come down and make yourself available, because after we pray, um, some of those who raised their hand, and maybe some of those who different, who didn't, I want you to come down and have somebody agree with you in prayer. Say that thing. Have somebody agree with you uh, in it, in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, thank you that you reached out to us, that uh, you reached out with love and grace and mercy and kindness and goodness, God. Uh, 
um, you brought us into your family, God, and all we can do is respond by faith and love towards you, God. And uh, Father, I pray for those who have raised their hands this morning saying, you know what, this difficult thing there and something they're struggling with and they've been struggling with, but and maybe they've laid it down a number of times. They just This morning, by faith, God, they just want to lay that thing down again and, and stop trying so much in their own power to make things happen, but just trust God, trust uh, the word of God, trust the promises of God. I pray for them in the name of Jesus, God, as, as they find a place to pray, God, Father, that you would just pour out your grace, God, pour out your mercy, God, pour out your goodness into their hearts and all of our hearts this morning, God. Help us become champions of faith, God, for it's in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. And everyone says amen and amen. Amen. Just want to invite you, as Emily sings, uh, if you have something uh, you want to bring and just have someone agree with you in prayer, bring it down here. We'd love to pray with you about that or any other thing that you have as well. In Jesus' name, God bless you.